Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, brethren. It's uh, wonderful to be here. It's the first time I've been to your new location, and it's quite lovely. I uh, had a little navigational issues getting here, but mostly my fault for trusting my GPS instead of trusting my own knowledge. But uh, we got here on time nonetheless. Uh, I bring greetings from Toronto. We are very excited about the feast of coming, although I hear that many of you in Burlington are going south for the feast, which is, you know, just fine. I think you will have a great feast nonetheless, but you will be missing something, and we will tell you all about it when you get back, and I'm sure we look forward to hearing your experiences as well. Uh, The title of my sermonette, uh, we could say, is called... Uh, selling out to your king. That's that's the title of my message. Uh, if we, when, we, when I talk about the term selling out, for me, it takes me back to my high school days where you were a sellout if, for example, you you know told one of your told the teacher about something that your your friend did, or you ever sided with the teacher on an issue, or you didn't protect your fellow students at, at any cost. Right, you were a sellout because you. You went to the other side, right? For many of you growing up, if you grew up to be, if you were a hockey fan, right? If you uh, were always a Maple Leafs fan, but then you had friends who jumped to the Canadian side because they were winning at the time, you know, you'd call them a sellout. Or uh, if you were a baseball fan and, you know, instead of cheering for the Blue Jays, you cheered for the Yankees because the Yankees were always winning, right? You were a sellout because you compromised that value that you were supposed to cheer for your team. Right. Of course, now it's kind of the other way around because the Blue Jays are wrecking everybody right now. But um, that's the idea of being a sellout is who, who you're going to sell your soul to. Right. Who is it that you're going to put it all on the line for? And, and that's where I'm going to go today. I want to examine. I want us to examine, you know, whether or not we've sold out and who is, is it that we're selling out to. I want to go to the story in Genesis 14. You can turn there. We're going to spend some time there in Genesis 14. And we have a situation here where we have nine kings and one that's going to be introduced later. But we have nine kings here and we have four kings at war with five other kings. Uh, there's a lot you can read into this. There's a lot more you can take from this, but I'm going to take my own spin on it. So in verse 1 through 3, we see that the four, there are four kings that are against the five kings of Canaan. The five kings are defeated. They actually rebelled against uh, another king, Chudalomer, because he kind of was having them under rule. They were tired of it. They rebelled against him. And then he decided, well, n- enough of this. We're going to... You know, we're not going to uh, take this anymore. We're going to crush this rebellion. And so they went to war. 
and he brought these other kings with him. The five kings are defeated, and their lands are plundered. So they, the rebellion is crushed. They've lost the war. And I'm not going to focus on that so much, but I'm going to focus on Abram's perspective. Because Abram has a, um, a, he says a brother, but it's really his nephew, Lot, who is living in Sodom at the time. He gets taken. So we have to remember in Genesis 12, what I want us to remember is that God had given him some promises. So here Abraham is facing this devastating news that Lot's been taken. Um, he's been he's gone away to do who knows what kind of what kind of situation, what's happened to his family. But in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham remembered this promise. He promised him that he was going to be the father of a great nation. He promises that all the land that he sees all around him is going to belong to him and his children, and that his legacy will be innumerable. So Abram remembered those promises. He's so full of faith and belief in these promises that he takes it upon himself to go get Lot back. And you'd think, well, he's going up against these four kings who just defeated five kings. You'd think, how is he going to do this? He brings 318 men with him. And they divide themselves up night by night, these little skirmishes, and they rescue Lot. And they bring back, I mean, it says not just Lot, but they rescue women, assume, I'm assuming children. Um, they call it victuals, so maybe food and, 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 uh, and animals and so on. And they bring them back, which is amazing. But then we get to, later on in chapter 14, we see that Abram has now been presented before two kings. So this is after they've, they've, they've made their rescue operation. It was successful. And he's here now before Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. He has two paths, essentially. We see that he um, gives tithes to uh, king Mel- Melchizedek here in chapter 14. And he knows where he wants to go. And that's often true with us too. We're on the right path. We're doing the things we're supposed to do. But in a time of weakness, or in a time of maybe we're a little lackadaisical, maybe our eye isn't on the ball, something will happen where we have to make a choice. The king of Sodom offers Abram a deal. He says, You can keep the riches for yourself. All of what you brought back, I don't want it. But give me the people. We know from reading in the scriptures what Sodom was all about. We can construe in our minds all kinds of wickedness of what King Sodom wanted to do with those people. So Abram has a choice. He can either hold on to the promises of future blessings to come, or he can settle for immediate gratification and get all these riches and still think that he's really kind of living the life he's supposed to do. So the king of Sodom wants Abram to sell out to him. He wants him to compromise his values for 
this king's own purpose. My question is, for all of us today, is who is your king of Sodom? Who is your king of Sodom that wants you to compromise your values? Does your king of Sodom want you to work on the Sabbath? Does your king of Sodom want you to pick and choose which holy days you attend? Does he want you to spend on yourself before giving of tithes to God? Does he want you to break down to sexual fornication, to drugs, to alcohol? Does he want you to keep smoking? Does he want you to keep swearing and not guard the things that are coming out of your mouth? Does he want you to keep gossiping? Does he want you to keep thinking that you're more righteous than a person next to you? The king of Sodom knows your carnal nature. He knows what he can tempt you with. Whether it be riches, whether it be some temporary feeling of joy or euphoria. God wants you to fight against those desires because in that way you can fight against this king of Sodom. I'll just reference Proverbs 21 verse 2. Every man way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. Obedience to God keeps us on the right path, and by defeating our own desires, we immediately defeat the king of Sodom. He can't tempt us with our own desires if we can overcome them. Obedience is what saves us, not just from, not just, you know, putting us in a situation where God can bless us, but also separates us from the wrath of God. And we see that in Ephesians verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5, if we want to turn there really quickly, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of obedience. So obedience, again, following the way God wants us to do, forces us to reflect on these desires that we have. And so we see how Abraham handles it in verse 22 of Genesis 14. He says to the the king, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He's taking an oath right here. And he's standing up for his true values. That I will not take a thread, even a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. So Abram is saying here that I want my blessings to come from God. Because I know those are true, good, wholesome blessings And not what you're offering. What you're offering to me is temporary and not worthwhile. It's not worthwhile sacrificing my values for what you're giving me right now. I'm going to wait on these promises that God has already given me. I'm going to wait on these blessings. Because these blessings are worth waiting for. They're worth fighting for. They're they're worth killing my own desires for. Rather than what you're offering me right now. And that's what we need to get to. We might want to say that, well, 
I don't know if I can pay my bills next month if I don't take this job on the Sabbath. Or if I go to the feast, I don't know if I'm going to pay my bills next month. That's a very difficult decision for anyone to make. I'm not here to tell you how to make your decision. I'm here to tell you that obedience will have greater blessings for you in the future than the immediate blessings that the king of Sodom wants you to have right now. And this is in the Bible. It's over and time and time again. It's there. You can trust it. But you have to live it. So, Abram doesn't want the king of Sodom to be able to say, well, I blessed Abraham, Look at, or Abram at the time. Look at him. He's prosperous. He's got all these riches. We should be rich in happiness, in joy, in contentment, uh, because of God's blessing, which comes through faith and obedience, not through compromising his law, compromising the values, the things that we believe in. Those things, those blessings that we get immediately are selfish, and they're also temporary. Because then what will happen is, there'll be another situation that comes along, where you have to make a decision, and you're going to do it over and over again. You're going to make the same choice over and over again. And it's never going to get better. You're always going to have and struggle with that. Until the day that you put your foot down and say, and say no, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to quit smoking. I may have to quit my job. I may have to tell this friend, no, I can't go out tonight. I may have to tell this person, I don't believe in that and that's wrong. And it's difficult. It's very difficult. But when we obey God, we make ourselves available for his blessing. When we try to do things on our own, and try to compromise God's law and try to kind of work with it and around it at the same time. We are just seeking a blessing. We're trying to get our, the blessing ourselves. And we're trying to do it all ourselves. And we take that away from God. He's ha- he has an inheritance prepared for us. The greatest blessing of all is being in his, in his kingdom. That's the greatest blessing that we could possibly have. And having everlasting life, living and reigning and ruling with him. We should never try to compromise that in any way. Everything else pales in comparison at the end of the day. So we, it's not up to us to kind of make God's law work for us or what he wants us to do. We adjust to him. We change ourselves. We don't change what he wants for us to do. Let's believe God when he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We have to trust that. The problem comes in is that what we want for ourselves, we're afraid that that's not what God wants for us, right? We're afraid of that. We're, we, you know, we want all these things, and we have this, this envision of, of what we want. And we're afraid that, what if God doesn't want that? What if I can't have that? And so we compromise. I'll, yeah, I'll follow you, God. I, I'm with you. So about, so about here, and then at this point, I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't want you to just agree with my words. I want you to believe them. I want you to live them. We have Faith is a living, actionable thing. If we believe something, we're not just going to believe it in our head and believe it in our minds. We're going to live it. We, if, you, if, if you say something, if you believe something, you will say it and you will live it. I want to end with Psalms 27. Psalms 27, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. When my boss tells me he's going to fire me, when my eyes burn with sin and lustful desires, when my heart burns with envy and with hate, when my mind says to look out for myself, rather at the expense rather of others, though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. So brethren, which king will we sell out to? This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.